we're honored that you're here tonight. We're honored that you've come to celebrate Jesus' birthday with us. It was about two years ago, almost to this day, two years ago, um, my wife calls me up and she says, I know what I want for Christmas. And I've been asking her for two weeks, what do you want for Christmas? What do you want for Christmas? What do you want for Christmas? Nothing, nothing, nothing. I know how that goes. Okay, I've been married 30-some years. You're going to do something. So she calls two days before Christmas. She said, I want a new puppy. I want a new golden retriever puppy. I go, great. That's a great idea. In fact, it really was. We'd had a golden retriever for 13 years, and she got bit by a rattlesnake at Caladesi and died. It was terrible. So we waited a year and a half, and then um, she calls me up and says, I want a new puppy. I said, that's, that's great. So I go home that night, and because Christmas Eve is a really busy night for us, as you might imagine, we don't do Christmas Eve dinners together. So we went like two nights before all this. And so we go out to dinner, and it was a setup. I thought we were going to get the puppy like in the spring or sometime in the future and we'd like plan about it, but it was a conspiracy. Danita and Erica, Ethan and Emily, they waited until dinner was over and I was full. (laughs) They waited until I paid the bill and then they bring out their smartphones and they said, dad, tomorrow morning we need you for two hours. We're going to Lakeland to pick up our new puppy. We're going to what? So anyway, they'd made the deal, closed the deal and I was to pay for it and we're all happy. So... Two years go by, and I want to tell you about Lila. Lila is our golden retriever. Lila loves the boat. Lila loves the beach. Lila loves the water. She is a water dog. She fits with our family so well. But what Lila wants to do all the time is play fetch. You get her to the water. She jumps out of the boat. She swims to the shore. And the first person that gets on the shore had better have a tennis ball ready because she's ready to go. So you throw the tennis ball in the water, and she fetches it. You throw the tennis ball parallel along the shoreline, she fetches it. Friends, she does this for hours, and she never stops. She never quits. She wants more, and she wants more, and she wants more. And so what you do is you sit down in your beach chair, and you're exhausted. You're ready for a break. And Lila sticks her nose under your arm and just looks at you. Come on, get up, big boy. Come on, get up, she's saying. I want to play fetch. And so about two months ago, we were doing this, and I'd done my shift, because you have to do this in shifts. I sit down, and I'm watching another family member just throw the tennis ball just again and again and again. And I thought to myself, that's the story of Christmas. The story of Christmas is a story of more. I want more. I have more for you. I have more in store for you. Yeah, but God, you've already given, but I got more. I I got so much more. And when you think about the story of Christmas, God had already given the law, the prophets, the priests, the judges, the kings. He'd already given all these incredible things. But God at Christmas time says, I have more. And oh, do I have more. Because life from now on will be in my son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. And God came to give us so much more. More is the story of Christmas. Now, where does more come from? Why do you have that desire for more inside of you? You all do. Every one of us in this room has a desire for more. Now, obviously, more can become self-centered, and obviously, more can become self-absorbed, but when more is pointed in the right direction, and we all want more, more influence, more education, more resources, 
more opportunities, more, more skill. Every one of us in this room, we all have a desire, what? For more. Now, where does that come from? That comes from the heart of your heavenly Father. Your heavenly Father placed a desire for more inside of each and every one of us. And so in the Christmas story, he says, I'm going to fulfill that part of more in your life. And so the Christmas story, it's birthed with more. And you see this in those prophecies. We'll just mention three quickly. But 700 years before Jesus was ever born, he says, I have more. 700 years before Jesus was ever born, the prophet Isaiah says this. He says, um, go, to, go to Isaiah. Yep, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with you. 700 years before Jesus was ever born, God says, I'm going to give you more. And the more is going to be my son. And my son is going to intersect into history, into your uh, destiny. And my son will change your life forever. Micah chapter 5, verse 2, same thing. Right at 700 years before Jesus was ever born, there's going to be a village. And this village is going to get more and more notoriety than they could ever dream or imagine. Folks, Bethlehem was kind of a little backwoods dump. And we all know about Bethlehem because God had a desire to give them more. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be the ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. It's about 1,500 years. This last little illustration I want to give to you comes from the book of Numbers. 1,500 years before Jesus was ever born, Moses wrote about the star. He wrote about the star, and we talk about the star and the wise men and their big travels. It comes from the book of Numbers. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star. A star will come out of Jacob, and a scepter will rise out of Israel. I don't know where you're coming from tonight. I don't know if you're in God's will. I don't know if you're out of God's will. I don't know if you want more of God. I don't know if you want less of God. But here's what I do know. God has more in store for you. God has more in store for you, and we see that through the pictures and the scenes and the narrative of the, of the amazing Christmas story. So where are you tonight? Are you in a good place with God? Are you in the best place with God? Are you in the right place with God? What he has in store for you is a story of more. I don't know of any other story that has more drama than the Christmas story. Do you? Think about the drama that takes place in the Christmas story. Is there drama at Christmas time? Is there drama in the malls right now at Christmas time? You know, you drive through the, you know, the parking lots and it says, you know, honk if you love Jesus. There's a lot of people that love Jesus in these mall parking lots, isn't there? Right? I mean, there's a lot of drama at family time. Have, have you had any drama already today with your whole family getting together? Was there drama? Yep. Was there drama trying to get... Just leave that to yourself. Was there, was there drama? Will there be drama tomorrow because you've got certain family members coming? I've said this before. Every family has crazies. Every, your family has crazies. My family has crazies. And if you don't know who the crazies are, that means you're the crazy one. And we all talk about you because you're the crazy one, right? Every family has crazies. There is drama with a capital D in this story of Christmas. 
all of a sudden, you got Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah is in the temple, minding his own business, doing the whole altar of incense thing. And the angel Gabriel shows up. Now keep this in mind. God had not spoken to the people of Israel for 400 years. There had been 400 years of silence. And all of a sudden, Zechariah is minding his own business, doing his temple duty. And he and his wife are going to be the parents of John the Baptist eventually. But the angel says to him, you know, you guys are going to have a child and he'll be the forerunner of the Messiah. And all Zechariah says is, well, how is this going to happen? I am, I am old, dude. I am old. And he's really smart. He's been married a long time. He didn't say his wife was old. He said, I am old and my wife is well advanced in years. That's why he was still married. I'm telling you. And, and, and all he said was, he said, how can this be? And I think Gabriel kind of overreacts. Gabriel says, I'm Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God. It's like, Gabe, come on, you bucked up, you bowed up. He's just asking a question, and God hasn't revealed himself for 400 years. I think Gabriel may have had a little drama going on. And Mary, when Gabriel said to her, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and the power of the Most High is going to overshadow you, and she says, how can this be? Because I am a virgin. Now, can you imagine the drama that Mary's going to Joseph and saying, look, I'm pregnant, and it really is the Holy Spirit? And he's going, yeah, right. I mean, how would that conversation go? How did that go down? And Joseph, you know, has drama because he's got to have the angel show up in a dream and say, don't divorce your wife. It really is from God. And then the whole star thing. The whole star thing is just drama with a capital D. We've got the three wise men in some people's nativity, and that's okay. It's pretty. It shows up in the nativity. But, but really, the, the whole wise men story in the star is like about a year and a half after the birth of Jesus. So it's about a year and a half into it. You've got these three wise men. And, and people kind of think there's three, but we don't really know how many there are. We think there's three because there were three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We don't know how many wise men there were. There are just three gifts. And also, historians are going, it couldn't be just three, like, old, goofy-looking college professors, you know, who've got sweaters that are too short and wearing glasses that are good 10 years or 12 years out of style. These three guys couldn't ever make the trip because bandits would kill them because they're carrying so much money. They're carrying so much gold. It's a 1,000 miles from Persia to Jerusalem thousand miles. It would take one year to make that journey just to get just to get there, much less the year to get back. And so they're probably carrying at least three or four million dollars worth of cash with the gold and the money for transportation and food and lodging just to get there and to get back. And and so historians believe there was at least about three hundred people traveling in that caravan together to get to Jerusalem. And when they got there, man, was there drama. But the Christmas story is a story of more. The Christmas story is the story that God has more in store for you. And so here's the story in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. It says this, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east, 
they came to Jerusalem. They followed the star. By the way, we've got stars on your seats. Take the stars home. Remember tonight's program and put those on your tree, and it's a memento for you guys. And these wise men asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star. And when it rose, and we've come to worship him, this is a star that moved. This is a star that guided. This is a star that directed. Why? Why would God do this? Because God had more in store for the world. And these guys from the other part of the world, everywhere they went, they're going to tell every single person, we're looking for the Messiah. Why are you on this journey? We're looking for the Messiah. Why have you come this far? We're looking for the Messiah. Why have you traveled a thousand miles? We're looking for the Messiah. And all the way back, they would tell everybody, we have found the Messiah. Because God had more in store, not just for the Jewish people. God had more in store for the people of the world, that everybody in the world would begin to understand that there is a Messiah who has been born. They were all disturbed, all Jerusalem with him. Verse 4, when he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. And we'll look at this next slide. And this is what we talked about with Micah chapter 5, verse 2. This is a prophecy 700 years before this scene. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly. And he found out, see, not everybody wants more, Right? Not, not everybody wants more. A lot of people want more. A lot of you in this room want more of what God has in store, but, but not everybody. Not everybody wants what God has in store for them. The Ma- then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them at the exact time the star had appeared. And verse 8 says this. So he sent them to Bethlehem. And he said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and I may worship him. And verse 9 says, after they heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they'd seen when it rose went ahead of them. The star is just guiding them, people, because God's got more in store for them. And God had more in store for the world. And it stopped over the place where the child, the child was. Now, I realize in a room this size, not everybody wants more. I realize that. I realize you're here tonight, maybe you lost a bed, or maybe she's cute, or I don't know why some of you are here, right? But, but, but in a room this size, not everybody wants more. But there's also some of you in this room that you really do want more, but you're not sure that more is available to you. You're not sure that you can have more, because you've kind of messed up your life and the life of some other people. You've made some moral and some ethical choices that just really weren't very healthy. You've made a train wreck of some some relationships and a wake of, of relational dead bodies behind you, and you're not sure that you qualify. Some of you in the room, you, you want more, and you're curious about this. And to that, I, I, I think there's some great answers. And so you're asking yourself this question, what if I do lean in. What if I do go all in? What if I do actually lean in to Scripture? And what if I did lean in to a church? And what if I did lean in to 
the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit wants to work in my life? What if I did lean in to the things of God? What is the more? What's the more that he has in store for my life? What's more in store for you? God has so much more in store for you. He promises to give you clarity. He promises to give you direction. He promises to give you faith. He promises to give you peace. He promises to give you joy. He promises to give you purpose. He promises to give you incredible forgiveness. God has so much more in store for you, and that's the story of Christmas, and that's the heart of God. And more rules in your mind, and it reigns in your heart. Every one of us in this room, we want to live life to the fullest. It's why Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have life to the full. It's why the Apostle Paul said, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive the great things that God has in store for you. Jesus himself said, I have so much more to teach you, more than you can now bear, but I will send my Holy Spirit to you. He says, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? My friends... If you lean in, I mean lean in, you take a step toward him, he'll take eight steps toward you. You lean in, he comes rushing in. And who doesn't want clarity? I mean, this world's tough enough. You're a single woman, you're a single man, you're a married man, you're a married woman, you got kids, you got grandkids, you got a hundred kids, whatever you got. Life's tough. Who doesn't want the clarity of the Holy Spirit directing their lives. And I think the first cousin to clarity is then direction. He gives you clarity, which is kind of the big picture, but then he gives you the direction. That's kind of the how to go forward. That's how you move forward in life. And I I don't think you can get more forgiveness, but I think when you're forgiven by Christ, your past, present, and future sins are all forgiven. But what you can do is you can grasp that you've been forgiven and live in light of that forgiveness. And who doesn't want more peace in this room? Who wouldn't want more joy in this room? Who wouldn't want to live every day of their lives knowing that we have a divine purpose? I know this. I know this. God has more in store for me. God has more in store for you. God has more in store for this church or for whatever church you go to if you're out of state. God has more in store for you than we could ever dream or ever imagine. Teddy Stoddard was a fifth grade boy not doing well in school. His clothes were unkept. He looked like he needed, and he smelled like he needed a bath every day. And his teacher, Mrs. Jean Thompson, was so frustrated with Teddy that she admitted that she actually enjoyed putting big, fat, red marker Fs on his English papers and his math papers. It was the end of the semester, and she's so frustrated with Teddy. She decided to look at his school records. The school records were interesting because first grade, Teddy's a bright young student, and he loves to learn. Second grade, Teddy's a good boy, but his mother has a terminal illness. Third grade, his mother died. I'm concerned about Teddy. He doesn't seem to be catching on like everyone else. Fourth grade, Teddy's not with us. He's sullen, he's withdrawn, he's not connecting with any other students in the class. 
Mrs. Jean Thompson was so frustrated with Teddy. It's the end of the first semester, and in her mind, she's convinced she's going to flunk him. He's not going to make it through the fifth grade. Well, it's time for them to all have their um, gift exchange, and so there's 28 students and one teacher, Mrs. Thompson, and so 29 names go in a box, and all of the students pull out a name out of the box for the gift exchange. And wouldn't you know it, Teddy draws Mrs. Jean Thompson's name. Well, it came time for the party, the last day of the semester, and all the students brought in their gifts, beautifully wrapped, bright colors, bows, ribbons, except for Teddy's. Teddy's gift was in a brown paper bag, not neatly wrapped, from a grocery store. All the other students went first, and then Mrs. Jean Thompson went last. And she began to unwrap that brown paper bag from the grocery store, and out fell a rhinestone bracelet and a bottle of perfume that had about a fourth left in it. The kids in the class began to laugh. She knew she needed to do something quickly. She straps on the rhinestone bracelet that had several stones missing, and she took her other wrist and dabbed some of that perfume on it very quickly. The bell rang a couple hours later. The day was over. The semester was over. There's a two-week break. All the students rushed to the bus. She kind of could see that somebody was still in the classroom, and she had her head down at her desk, and she looks up, and, and it's Teddy. And Teddy is never lingered behind and even had a conversation with her. Mrs. Thompson, I'm so glad you liked my mom's bracelet. And you smelled just like my mom used to smell. I hope you have a great Christmas. And when he leaves, Mrs. Jean Thompson took her head down on the table and she cried. And she begged God to forgive her. And Mrs. Jean Thompson said to God, I know you've got more in store for this little boy. I know there's more, but I can't reach him. I need you to show me how to connect with this little boy. His destiny is at stake. And during that two weeks of the Christmas vacation, She prayed, and she plotted, and she planned, and she went to Teddy's dad, and she asked for permission to tutor Teddy after class every day, and also every other Saturday for the rest of the semester. And by the end of the semester, Teddy had almost caught up with the rest of the students. He passed the fifth grade. The next year, at the end of the sixth grade, when Teddy would be leaving that school and going to middle school and high school, She got a note from Teddy on her desk. Dear Mrs. Thompson, I've finished the sixth grade. I did pretty pretty good. You are still my favorite teacher, Teddy Stoddard. Six years go by. She gets another letter from Teddy, and it said to her, Dear Mrs. Thompson, I graduated third in my high school class. I want you to know you're still my favorite teacher, Teddy Stoddard. Four more years go by. She gets another letter. Dear Mrs. Thompson, I want you to know that I graduated from the university with the highest of honors, and you're still my favorite teacher, Teddy Stoddard. Three and a half years later, she gets another letter. Dear Mrs. Thompson, I cannot thank you enough. You are my favorite teacher, signed Theodore F. Stoddard, M.D. He had become a proficient physician. And then about 
Five months later, she gets another letter from Teddy. Dear Mrs. Thompson, I want you to know that I'm getting married in about three and a half months, and I want you to come and sit in the seat where my mother would have sat. And she did. Now, God has more in store for a fifth-grade boy and for an elementary school teacher. He has more in store for you, and he has more in store for me than you and I could ever dream or ever imagine. Now, I want to encourage you to lean in. I want to encourage you to trust the Lord. I want to encourage you to give your life to Christ and give your heart to Christ and give your mind to Christ and give your body to Christ. I want to encourage you to give your all to Christ because he has more in store for you.